This week's Game of Thrones feedback show is sponsored by CanvasPeople.com. In the same way that winter is coming on Game of Thrones, winter is here on Game of Thrones, summer is just about over for us. And of course, hopefully you guys had some fun times at vacations, weddings, barbecues, parties, you name it, taking lots of pictures. But what do you do with those pictures now why don't you turn them into beautiful works of art that you could be hanging up on your wall with canvaspeople.com. Canvaspeople.com has a great offer for you to try out. They've got special $0 pricing if you want to try out an 11 by 14 canvas print for you to hang up. You just pay the shipping. It's less than $20 altogether for you to try it out. They're so convinced that once you see what Canvas People can do, you will try them again and again. Over a million people have used Canvas People. Nicole and I are very happy with the canvas that we've gotten from them of the boys. We really think that you will be too. So to get this special offer, go to canvaspeople.com, upload your picture, select the 11 by 14 size and enter promo code post in the promo code box to get that special $0 pricing. That's at canvaspeople.com, promo code post. Game of Thrones Season 7 is still over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions here on our Game of Thrones feedback show. And now, here are the two guys who are about to make a killing with this amazing new idea to open up a plowing business in King's Landing. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? You got your shovel? I got my shovel. I got my snowshoes. Nobody's on. ready I've for got, this. Boom! I've got my I've got my big fluffy coat, uh, which you don't normally see around King's Landing, but it's like high fashion season now. So like we're looking real good yeah. on top of the fact that we're starting a really really booming business. Because most of the people in King's Landing, the small folk, I mean, they are just like walking around in like a burlap sack. They are not ready for this. No, they're not. They're going to be cold. There's, what, a million people in King's Landing? Three million? What was the final number on right. that? Right. I mean, that's two million pairs of socks we need. That's a lot of socks. Mm-hmm. So we're going, to get, we're going to get working on that as well. We're going to get a knitting factory going. Yeah. So it's all happening. I know that the Iron Islanders say that they don't sew, but we'll <laughs> sew. We'll sew. Yes. You know, we'll reap what we Make sew. Make it so. Make it so. Engage. Yes. So uh, let's get into everything uh, that you guys wanted to talk about after the uh, Game of Thrones season finale. A couple days out from the show. Everything's still sitting well with you, Josh? Everything is still sitting well with me. All I have to say is for the last like five seconds, I've been thinking of T Earl Grey watch hot. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Bad, bad jokes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everything, everything is still sitting well with me here, except for you know, I'm still like a little bit, uh, a little iffy on the whole John and Danny scene. But I'm not going to harp on it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was a big finale. It was a huge episode, and now we're in that waiting period of not knowing when Game of Thrones is coming back. Could be a year. The rumor is it could be two, which is devastating. Two years for six more episodes. So we just got to savor what we have at the moment. And of course, we'll have our new podcast series that we're going to be launching fairly soon here on Game of Thrones. So. The, uh, the future is dark and full of Game of Thrones podcasts, yeah. right? And in case you missed it at the end of our deep dive podcast the other day, Josh and I announced that in, what, two weeks, we are going to be starting our official Game of Thrones rewatch. So we will have you covered for the next 67 weeks following uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah. next week's other big uh, Game of Thrones uh, related announcement. So uh, we got a lot coming yeah. up down the pike. The evolution of Westeros is on its way. Yeah. So the first one of those podcasts will drop on September 12th as of our current plan. So keep an eye out for that. And that'll come after the Throners, Rob. The Throners will be happening first. Okay. The Throners, I believe it's our fourth annual Game of Thrones award show coming up. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can you it? believe it? Uh, my, how the time flies. Oh, my, have the time is fun. Yes. And I guess that the next one we do will be the fifth and final Throners Award after... See, and so we get into like Game of Thrones prequels and stuff like that. But uh, we have that coming up. And so, once again, the esteemed Academy has gone through everything from season seven of Game of Thrones. And uh, by the time you listen to this tonight, you can catch... Your ballots for the Throners by going to Throners.com. 
T H R. You see, that's you didn't even write oh, for it. I like that. Oh my god! We should make that capital now. T H R O N E R S. The Throners, and very excited to uh, hear what you guys have to say about this year's categories. It's really sad that this is the first time I'm realizing that T H R could have like co-sponsored the Throners. <laughs> uh, and we just we didn't sell them on it, unfortunately. So what are you going to do? Yeah, not yet, but we'll see. Not yet. We're working towards it. We're working towards we'll it. We'll see. So be on the lookout for that coming up. So Throners next week, and then we will get into our Game of Thrones rewatch. And Josh, one day in the future, I'm going to stare into the flames. You and I will be talking about this very episode we're about to podcast about again in the future. It's amazing how this works. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be really incredible. Yeah, we'll get back to this one at some point down the line. Yeah, what did Sometime you say? in late 2018. I think that's right. I think that's right. But the Game of Thrones train, it moves forward. There is no stopping. There ain't no getting off of this train we're on, uh, as a wise man once said. So let's, uh, let's hop into this. Let's hop into the feedback show, Rob. Okay, so Josh, we've got these questions uh, sent in to us by the listeners. Uh, Alex Kidwell has gone through everything and uh, curated a bunch of them. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the, uh, I guess we're shipping it, Janaris. Is that what we're calling this? John yeah, we're and on a ship. Yeah. We're on a ship. The good ship John Harris has set sail. And oh my, it is a thing. Uh, so lots of questions about that, of course. And this one is from Mark Loon to start us off. Mark writes in and says, Targaryens wedding and bedding other Targaryens is nothing new for Westeros. But the show has spent seven seasons demonizing Jamie and Cersei for their incestual relationship. So how do we and the people of Westeros reconcile John and Danny's seemingly perfect union with the fact that they're related. Good okay. question. Fair question. What is Good your question. response to that, Rob? How do we get our heads around the fact that, yes, this is a sweet, tender, wonderful moment. Two people we like a tremendous amount are now an item, and that's lovely, and happiness is such a rare thing on Game of Thrones, so that's great. But she's his aunt. Yes, yes, technically is his aunt. However, Josh, I think that much like uh, that I've talked about good naked and bad naked on the Seinfeld podcast, I think there's good incest and bad incest. And so Jamie and Cersei, not only a brother and sister, they're also twins. It's weird. That's what can we also say that? Yeah, they're also like bad people. Like or at least like Jamie was a really bad person. Cersei's just always been a bad person. Right. And also Cersei was committing adultery at that time as well. I mean, and so was Robert Baratheon. So I guess what's good is for the goose is good for the gander, but that's Indeed. besides the point. Indeed. But that being said, I feel like that hooking up with your aunt in Game of Thrones is, uh, you know, n- you know, maybe a little party foul, perhaps, but I feel like that it's you, you didn't know that many people in the grand scheme of things on Game of Thrones in terms of like the atrocities committed across the seasons. This one feels like fairly low on the radar. Right, right. The amount of shared DNA, if you were going to really get scientific with it, not not more than 50 percent. Yeah, yeah, not more than 50 percent. Cersei and Jamie, they have are literally twins like they yeah. were, you know. Yes, yeah, so that that one. That's that's like uh, I was. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great to really think about how that's all working out genetically. But I guess, you know, if we want to give John and Danny a little bit of a pass for now. I'm not going to get mad at it. Besides, Jenny Liu has a solid response to how things are going down with John and Danny. Jenny writes in. I know people are icked out by the whole incest angle, and hey, it's not quite my bag either. But if we're viewing the world of Game of Thrones through a history-adjacent lens, and it is, it is akin to a feudalistic society of the Middle Ages, then it's not really such an oddity. Philip II of Spain married his own niece, and he was devoted to her, taking no mistresses during their marriage. And around the turn of the century, 1900, Franklin Roosevelt married his first cousin. This was a very normal occurrence not so long ago. Our societal norms have changed due to our understanding of genetics. The FDLS, for example, experiences a high rate of a severe anomaly due to their lack of genetic diversity. So as a ship, John slash Danny is fine by me. The brother-sister coupling sits less well with me as they aren't even removed from each other at all. Uh, So historically, uh, history is on the side of the good ship Generis, Rob. I don't have a problem with it. I know that it's a little bit icky, as you said, when you really start to think about it. But overall, John and Danny being related does uh, not creep me out. 
not creeping you out. Um, Podrick Racer writing in with a couple of additional thoughts on the new It Couple of Westeros. Podrick writes, Josh seems upset that John doesn't know who his father is. I am. I think that (laughs) holding that reveal was necessary to get John and Daenerys to be a couple. That development was one place where the show got the pacing right this season. What do you think? And also, I think that while Daenerys is likely to get pregnant, that baby is not likely to be born. What do you think about Daenerys dying in battle on a dragon and John being left to pick up the pieces? All right. Well, first of all, do Hopefully you agree? not literally. Yeah. Do you agree with Podrick's uh, Podrick's take that John and Danny, the pacing on that relationship was one of the things that Game of Thrones got right this season? Are you happy with the way they set up that relationship, how they crafted that relationship over the course of the year? Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, uh, what Podrick is saying, because John meets Danny, what, back in episode two, they get together by the season finale, episode seven. I think that that was probably an appropriate amount of time for that relationship to come to a boil. In terms of John not knowing his lineage, I think that that was also probably important in terms of if John finds out that he's related to Daenerys, Probably a little bit of a buzzkill with everything going on there. Just I a think, touch. Yeah. I think it's one thing that you're sort of in this relationship. It's hot and heavy. And then you find out that you might be related as opposed to you might be related to a person and then you seek them out. I feel like that that is more problematic. How about this then, Rob? Maybe... They shouldn't have had that final Tower of Joy scene in season six. Maybe they should have pushed that full reveal to this moment in time to later in season seven. While, yeah, like the theory is prominent and it's popular. R plus L equals J. The show at that point had not yet confirmed anything. And in that scene in the Tower of Joy, they like 99 percent confirm it. And then like an infographic released by HBO confirms that Rhaegar Targaryen is Jon's dad. And then they try to reset it here as another major reveal Like, it's just like you can't reveal the same thing three times as a major reveal. So why then? Why not just place the whole thing? Just have that whole big moment be one big moment and save it until the penultimate episode of uh, or the penultimate season, rather, of Game of Thrones. Yeah, this is a good point, and maybe it speaks to the uh, lack of plotting ahead by D&D, and we'll see if, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I, when, we'll, when we'll see. I mean, yeah, it, it could have been better, They could have, but we loved it at the end of season six. Yeah, we did love it at the end of season six, but I think just in terms of, like, the pacing, like, you know, just doing, like, kind of, like, the back thinking on it, it's like, no, nah, maybe there was, like, a pacing issue here. Anyway, not, not, let's not harp on it. Focusing on the positives here today, yeah. Rob, you know? That's no what more- they told Rhaegar Targaryen. Hey, go, let's not harp on it, Rhaegar. Let's- <laughs> but I love the harp. I love playing my harp. <laughs> no. No. Time to marry somebody else's uh, betrothed. All right. Brianna Hendrickson has written in with an interesting theory on what a potential pregnancy for Daenerys could mean for how this story is going to end. Brianna writes... Josh has mentioned that a prominent theme of the show is how these characters are not defined by their parents or their ancestors' actions. With that in mind, if Daenerys is pregnant when season eight returns, might the significance of this be that Cersei is pregnant at the same time? Perhaps the ending of the show will indicate that Jon and Daenerys' child and Cersei and Jaime's child will grow up alongside one another in peace, despite their parents' feud. In short, is it possible that the Lannisters and Targaryens will be allies in the future as represented by these two children? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I love that. I love that a lot. What do you think about that, Rob? No, that's not what's going to happen. So here's what's going to happen. So Cersei is going to have her baby. Daenerys has her baby. And they're both in the nursery at the Citadel. And then somehow the name tags get switched. (laughs) And then we end up with Cersei ends up raising the Targaryen baby. And then Daenerys and Jon end up raising a Lannister baby. And then they grow up and meet each other and then learn their true identities. And then that's the jumping off point for a new Game of Thrones series. That's one of the successor shows. I like that as well. I think that that's pretty good. I think that'll work. Uh, Separated at birth. Game of Thrones style. Uh, no, I really do like this idea, though. Look, I, I've said it before. I'm starting to come around on the idea that Cersei could survive this whole show. Uh, I do think that the that the fact that she's pregnant right now, I think that that could be, you know, I don't know if Game of Thrones 
has de- definitely, you know, it's literally it's killed infants before. We have seen Game of Thrones have scenes where babies are murdered. So it wouldn't be like the most extreme thing, or at least it would be among one of the most extreme things that they've already done. And certainly the death of Cersei feels like a comeuppance that has to happen because of everything that she's done. But I think that there could be, you know, alternate fates for her, like life imprisonment or, you know, anything like that. But I feel like the idea of having another... Lannister uh, and having a new generation of Lannisters sprung from Cersei and Jaime and having that kid have a chance that feels really appealing to me on the thematic level of yeah like I've said like I do think that there is a theme about how these people are not defined by the people who've come before them that could be really compelling to me um, so I'd love to see it I think it'd be great uh, are you are you still buying that John and Daenerys are gonna are gonna make this work that there's gonna be a, a future Targaryen baby in the mix absolutely I have no doubt in my mind that that John will get Danny knocked up. Um, well, let's keep talking about the Targaryen stuff. This is from Ace of House Davis, who is questioning some of Ned's choices now that we have all of this new information. Hey, when has Ned Stark made a bad choice? Never in his life. Never on, in his life. He is the he is the wisest. He is the, he is the smoothest of movers. But you call uh, him Ned, never wrong Stark. Never wrong Ned. All right, so this is from this is from Ace. Curious to hear your thoughts on Ned's decision to back Stannis Baratheon as the heir to the Iron Throne if he knew Jon's true identity. If Ned's sister told Ned that Jon slash Aegon's last name was Targaryen, wouldn't he know that she and Rhaegar were married and, and that she wasn't raped? I can see how attempting to convince the Lannisters that your bastard son is actually the king of Westeros wouldn't go over too well. But if he is as honorable as we think, shouldn't he have tried harder to help Jon slash Aegon reach his full potential as heir to the Iron Throne? Or at least have trusted someone else with the information instead of carrying it with him to his grave? Or am I supposed to believe that Ned thought Jon was simply his sister's son? Thanks for your thoughts. Love the show. Um, this is interesting. You know, Ned now knows, based on this flashback, that John's real name is Aegon Targaryen. And when the time comes, when King Robert, when Bobby B departs this world, he decides that he's now going to back a play to get Stannis Baratheon to sit on the Iron Throne. Why didn't Ned instead go back to Winterfell? You know, feel like things are getting a little too hot here in King's Landing. I probably got to leave. Maybe go up to the Night's Watch and maybe go up to Jon Snow and be like, so you know how you always ask me about your mom? It's time to talk about your mom. Some big business is coming your way, son. And I shouldn't say son. I should say nephew. That's exactly how he would deliver it. That's a good point. But I, I can't get on Ned too much for this. I mean, that I don't know if he believed that Jon Snow was ready to sit on the Iron Throne of Westeros. And I think that if he did care about him as a son, then he might feel like, you know what? He's safer being up at the wall than he is with these pit vipers here sitting on the throne in King's Landing. Yeah, that might be true, but like, is he just never going to tell John like the truth ever? He like, said, is that I'll tell you when next time I see you. Yeah, I know. So was he actually going to tell him, or was he going to keep lying? Like, has he just allowed himself this one lie that he will like thoroughly, thoroughly lie about for the rest of his days? Like, when he does see John, and if he's now backed Stannis and his play works, and Stannis is now the king, is he when he's going to see John next? He'll be like. So don't tell anybody, but you're actually kind of the heir to the Iron Throne. We're never going to do anything about it, but you're the heir. Just like feel really good about that. Like, how is that going to work out? I think that there were a lot of complications there with uh, the whole Baratheon Targaryen thing where, you know, I think that there are probably people that were uh, Baratheon loyalists that would not have been too keen to have the Targaryens uh, take the, the helm of the regime once again. So I do understand why Ned wanted to protect this kid. I mean, it was like a 13 or 14 year old when the show starts and keep him out of this whole mix until a later date, if ever. Let's talk about Daenerys and let us take our first voicemail of the feedback show from your friend in mind, the great Steve Davis, who has a question about what kind of criticism might be coming Daenerys Targaryen's way. Hey, guys, Steve Davis calling in. How much flack is Daenerys going to get for the wall coming down? 
Sure, she didn't have control of the dragon at that point, but it was her dragon and ultimately her fault that led the dragon into the Night King's hands. You already have people in the North saying they won't follow a Targaryen regardless, and this certainly won't help. You have Cersei, who is best at spinning things her way, and ultimately, perception is reality. Do you think that this will be a big issue next season or something that will quickly get glossed over? Thanks. What do you think? Daenerys Targaryen sailing north right now. She's about to to meet the constituents here in Winterfell, assuming there is a Winterfell when she reaches White Harbor. Uh, is she going to get any kind of grief over like not helping out sooner? No, I don't think that people are going to get on Daenerys. And remember, Jon Snow sent the Raven. So the king in the north said, hey, Bring your dragons up here. It's not her fault one of the dragons got stabbed with an ice javelin. She had nothing to do with that. She was coming to rescue the people that came up with this idiotic plan. So I don't think that people are going to be like, hey, you know, why did you meddle with the Night King with the dragon? Now look what you did. No. Do you think instead they're going to be like, thank you for rescuing our idiot of a king in the north. Like, thank you for going and like plunging him from the icy abyss. That was such a bad plan. And you're a really cool person to have done what you did. Yeah, I think that they'll probably be happy when she shows up, at least with two dragons. I feel like that. Well, we have this person here. Yes, the Night King turned one of her dragons into an ice dragon, but she still has two dragons. She still has two dragons left. So I feel like that they're probably going to try to look at the upside, especially when Winterfell is under an attack. I just don't know how you protect uh, the other dragons from the said ice javelins. Um, you want to take a pit stop here in Winterfell? You want to stop down and just like hang out here for a minute and talk about some Stark stuff? Would love to. All right, let's talk Stark stuff. Let's talk Bran Stark stuff. Uh, Chris Fernandez writes in, feels like he finally has a grip on what Bran's power set is all about. Chris writes in, I feel the season finale did a pretty good job of clarifying Bran's abilities during his conversation with Sam. Basically, Bran has the entirety of the internet at his fingertips. He just doesn't have Google. So basically, he's just wandering around the internet and also occasionally comes across some adult content. What do you think? Is that a is that a good metaphor for how Brand's powers are working? He is uh, a man with all internet at his fingertips. He just doesn't have Google or presumably even Bing. Bing. Uh, I think that for Bran, yeah, I, I do feel like that that's what the show is probably trying to give us. And I think that if you go back and take a look at what was going on with the uh, Valerian Steel Dagger, with Daggergate, that you wonder if when Littlefinger hands Bran the dagger, does that does the holding of the dagger, does that sort of bring back all things Littlefinger now that he has uh, that sort of microchip into the hard drive? And that's where he's able to access all of that information. So I, I think that that probably is the best way to explain it. But, you know, when he talks about himself as the all knowing three eyed raven, he kind of leaves that part out. I think the thing is, is it, I think he does have Google. I think he just doesn't necessarily know what to Google. You know, we have access to the entire Internet. We could learn anything that we could possibly want, Rob. That is the beauty of the digital age. We just don't always know what we want to look up. So when Rand has this moment where Sam is like, hey, wait, I think Rhaegar and Lyanna actually got married. Can you see that? Then I think that's Bran being like, let me Google. And then he Googles Rhaegar and Lyanna Stark wedding and he goes and he sees it. And that's how he gets to go to all these different visions. Like he has access to that stuff. He just needs to know where to look. And so Sam comes in and he points him in the right direction of where to look. He, you know, gives him the whole let me Google that for you. And Bran is able to see that vision. So I think he does have Google. It's just he doesn't always know what's the thing to Google. And I think that that's also a big part of the uh, Sansa and Arya storyline. Because from what I understand, that there was a deleted scene from the finale, Josh, where Bran Stark uh, was able to provide some information to Sansa to uh, let the Stark sisters know what Littlefinger was up to. I've heard about this, and this is a good segue into this from Trisha from Boston, who has some thoughts on how the Arya and Sansa thing went down. Trisha writes in, here's how I'm choosing to believe things went down at Winterfell. 
I don't think it was a long con by the girls. The creepy, scary conversation between Sansa and Arya was legit. Then Littlefinger has his talk with Sansa about how his little game, uh, about his little game, rather, when trying to figure out someone's motives. Well, Sansa takes some time to think about it, applies his logic to his motivations, and figures it out. She and Arya begin to talk, and Bran fills in some blanks, finally. I think it was a thing of beauty for Littlefinger to be taken down by three of his own victims, ones he thought he had wrapped around his finger. I think it's Sansa reaching her full power. Together, she and Arya are now a formidable force. Uh, So yeah, I think that that is a more acceptable answer to me. Like, it still kind of sucks that, like, we had to have all those scenes of, like, Sansa and Arya at each other's throats, but I like the idea of, rather than there having been, like, this long con which I still haven't gone back and revisited, and I don't know when I'll get the chance to do it, but I will. Uh, rather than that being the, the case, it's more Sansa hears what Littlefinger is saying about the, like, assume the worst. And then she turns that on Littlefinger and goes, well, I should probably assume the worst about him. And she follows that thread down and finally realizes, you know what? My brother can see everything if I just tell him what to Google. And so she goes and she sees Bran. And yes, as you point out, there is apparently this deleted scene that didn't make it into the episode where Sansa comes to Bran and says, I need to talk to you. I need your help. And that was removed. And I understand that maybe it would have slowed down some drama a little bit, but also would have been helpful to know. I do think to have something like that on the show. Um, But I think that that's a better answer for me than Arya and Sansa were cooking up this long con against Littlefinger. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't think that they were faking it the whole season. I think everything we saw up to this point was real. I think when Littlefinger tells Sansa, well, sometimes when I think about a motivation, I try to wonder Sansa. What's what they're doing. Sansa. And then I think that she probably did apply that same logic. I think she did talk to Bran. And then ultimately, they figured out that they were on the same page about this. Also, I feel like that uh, we haven't talked about... Do you feel like it was poetic to have Littlefinger basically die of the same wound that Catelyn dies from at the Red Wedding? Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day after you and I talked on the deep dive. I was like, oh, man, that's right. Like, that's exactly how Catelyn went. Yeah, I think that's great. I love that. There was a lot of poetic symmetry with the way that Littlefinger died. Um, Again, you know, I wish that he had had more to do. Would have loved one final scene with Varys. Uh, I often say, though, like, that's why we have the earlier episodes, and you can always go back. Like, when, when like, Lost did similar things that just felt like fan service. It's like, you know what? You could have gone back, and you could have just watched that before. So I got to apply that same logic here. We have a lot of great Littlefinger and Varys scenes already in the can. You can always go and revisit those. I do wish there was some stronger Littlefinger story this season, but if you just look at the whole series arc for the character— it's a great way for him to go defeated by Catelyn's daughters, uh, defeated by one of Catelyn's sons and killed in the same manner in which Cat died. That's beautiful. I think that that's really, really great. And combined with the fact that Aiden Gillen gives such a good performance in that final scene, I'm really good with how Littlefinger went out. And he was involved in brokering the deal to get the Stark children back to Winterfell uh, when Cat freed Jamie, correct? Yeah, I think that's right. So uh, several layers of irony uh, in the downfall of Littlefinger. I think it's it's not so much the outcome here. I think it was just the journey this season to get to this point. Yeah, I agree. But if we're focusing purely on outcome, I think, you know, Littlefinger was a character who was always going to die in this story at some point or another. And the way that they wrote him off and the final scene that they give him and the manner in which he's killed off. All of that is aces. Like, all of that is just really, really good stuff. Not ace the person who wrote into us earlier. <laughs> You're being uh, results-oriented. I know, I know, I know. Uh, well, this isn't Survivor, you know? What, what are you going to do? Um, okay. All right, speaking of Littlefinger, Steve Clemetti writes in and thinks that maybe Sansa was a little bit out of line with this. Steve writes, Have they no constitution in Westeros? No protection against double jeopardy? Littlefinger was tried at the Vale for Lysa's death, and Sansa's testimony had them declare it justified. So her trying him again for that, it's double jeopardy. And he killed no one in the North, so it's out of jurisdiction. And Sansa's the only one who knows that Littlefinger conspired to kill Joffrey. So what do you think, Rob? Did Sansa overreach here? Over the reach here? We're really, we're worried about the Westeros Constitution. We're really we're talking about this. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, you know, the other thing too is like nobody in the Vale liked Littlefinger. It was like mm-hmm. I guess we're stuck with Littlefinger because that's what custom dictates. But custom is being upended. You know, all over the place, Rob, and certainly on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I th- I think when it's you know when Sansa is saying like. 
you know, when she's like really the thread that's keeping Littlefinger in place, and she's like, "Yeah, hey, you're going to get executed now for all these horrible things yeah. that I'm accusing I you lied of." I lied to protect you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that like the people in the Vale might like have a bone to pick with Sansa. Like, couldn't you have told us like told us that earlier? You know, like, Sansa's going to have to smooth that over. I assume that that would happen off screen, and frankly, she might not have a lot of time to do it anyway because. Seems like the Night King is probably going to get to Winterfell here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, but I can't imagine anyone at the at the Vale is. Uh, n- it's no use crying over spilled milk of the poppy, Rob. You know, like, I don't think anyone is upset about this. Well, also, the information coming out is that Lice Aaron killed the beloved figure in the Vale, John That's right, Aaron. Good point. So then it's like, oh, we hate Lysa now. So I'm glad we're glad she's dead. But thank you for taking care of her. But then also, Littlefinger uh, lied to us, and he's a bad dude anyway. So sort of killed two birds with one stone. Two mockingbirds with one stone. Indeed, indeed. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about a new villain who uh, who is going to be the new prominent villain. Not that he's a new villain, but certainly uh, new to Westeros, the Night King, who has arrived as of the season finale. Jane Hall has a comment on where the Night King could be moving next. Jane writes in, I know that Josh believes the White Walkers will attack Winterfell next, but could it be that they will head straight south from Eastwatch to White Harbor? John and Danny are heading there, and maybe they will be waylaid there so that John never makes it back to Winterfell. What do you think about this, Rob? Do you think that this is a way for us to see like a new location in Game of Thrones that we haven't seen before? We've heard a little bit about White Harbor, one of the biggest cities, I think the biggest city actually in the north. Uh, could we see the Night King march on White Harbor, or do you think he's heading to Winterfell like I do? Yeah, we don't really know what the Night King's agenda is in terms of what he wants to hit. I mean, is he looking at this like a military leader? Like, he wants to storm castles? Does he want to hold a castle? Like, does he want just to go where the largest number of people are to add numbers to his army? We just don't know what his motivation is. So something uh, that has been making the rounds online, and I'm very sorry that I don't have the uh, the proper source in front of me, uh, but there is a, you, you can Google around for it. Ask Bran, he'll Google it for you. Uh, there is an image that has been making the rounds that is straight out of the finale when the Whites and the White Walkers are mobilizing through the wall. Their collective bodies form the shape from a bird's eye view, from a raven's eye view even, of the direwolf sigil of House Stark. Uh, that's really, really compelling. Uh, that they, when you look at them top down, it is the it is the wolf's head that is making its way through the wall and down into Westeros. And I think that this image is going to fuel the theorists that Bran and the Night King are the same person. But for me, uh, who I don't subscribe to that at all, I think that that's uh, there's just it's it's going to be so complicated to get us to that point. What I do think, and I've said this before, is I could really see the scenario the scenario in which the Night King is an ancestor of the Starks, is an ancient Stark, is somebody from, you know, one of the first men who is one of the earliest Starks on the board. Uh, And then, you know, what if, you know, I've been wondering, like, if, if if the first episode of the new season doesn't contain some kind of march on Winterfell and some sort of destruction of Winterfell, like, you're gonna have to have a really good reason for why that's the case, because the White Walker army should be able to reach that within an episode easy. But what would be the thing that would keep people safe there? What would be the thing that would stop Winterfell from being completely burned to the ground? Maybe the Night King's feeling nostalgic. Maybe the Night King wants to turn Winterfell into his base of operations. He does like the cold. It's a little bit further south of the wall, so it's not too cold, but it would be just the right climate for him. He would prefer it over King's Landing. And if it's, you know, his ancestral home, if the Night King is an ancient Stark, there would be some sort of really kind of uh, devastating justice to this man going back home. Um, And maybe this is a way where, you know, Sansa and Arya will have a chance to slip away or who knows how that could all shake out. But I'm I'm wavering ever so slightly on my idea that Winterfell has to fall. I think Winterfell has to be reached. And the question is, what does the Night King want with Winterfell? Does he just want to wreck it because he's trying to wreck everything? Or once he's weighed lace to all of humanity, does he want a place to hang out? Does he want a place to hang his, his proverbial crown? I don't think the crown actually comes off of his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that that's a possibility. I think it's a possibility that the Night King is going to look at Winterfell as his new base of operations. 
That's interesting. And sort of Sansa and Bran and Arya will be behind the walls of Winterfell, perhaps laying traps around Winterfell to try to stop the Night King from uh, coming in and invading the house. Uh, A little bit of like some Home Alone action going on for the Stark kids. Yeah, I like it. Uh, In that regard, this is from Lisa Michelle, who says, I have a question about the Night King's probable appearance at Winterfell early next season. There are lots of dead people there from Littlefinger, Ramsay, if there's any of him left, and Ned and Lyanna and other early Starks hanging out in the crypts. Will any of these deceased be resurrected as whites? Is there an expiration date on how long after death a body can be turned? That seems like it would be awful, but also a little bit thrilling. Wouldn't that be amazing? So the Night King, an ancient Stark, decides to go into Winterfell and set up shop, and on top of that, he summons these skeletal bodies from out of the crypts and has them join the army of the dead. That would be sickening. It would be so gross and awful for that to be the resurrection of Ned Stark as just a white, as just like a decomposed skeletal body just getting up and yeah, but wandering how would you know around. It was him? Is the head even with the body? I don't think the head is with the body, so it would be a headless Ned. Uh, mm-hmm. Near, it wouldn't be a yeah. You know, I think that <laughs> I think that that would be that would be pretty crazy though. Uh, and then on top of that, yeah, like the idea of like the Stark kids like surviving by lurking in the crypts would be would be interesting. I think maybe this is starting to write itself a little bit. So you do like that? I just don't know if you'd be able to tell that that was actually you know Ned's body. It's not like he would act different. Easy, yeah. easy. You you have you have uh, the night. King goes to Ned Stark's crypt. He places a hand on it, and then the white just like bursts out from behind it. Like at that point, you know that's Ned Stark's body. But why? I mean, isn't this getting like a little Scooby Doo now? Where <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Dad's body. Yeah. Whoa! It's not like he's going to be able to communicate with them or do anything different. They don't have personalities. These white. It's just like a terrible thing for everybody to have to face now, and to to bring Ned back in that way would be really haunting and terrible. Don't don't sleep on it. You know, there's some there's something there's something here. I think that there could be something cool there. Hey, Josh, before we get into our next question, I want to take a moment and thank one of our sponsors. And uh, those are our friends at Plated. And anybody that knows us knows how serious we take dinner. We, we don't mess around with it. We do not mess around with dinner. We like uh, we like to go to hot pies whenever we can. You know, if he's not open, we'll make our own bread. We'll make our own meals if we've got the chance. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, who wants to deal with all of the uh, the line at hot pies uh, when you could be making plated at your house each week? They've got fifteen chef design recipes to choose from. And uh, this past week, uh, in addition to some steak gyros, we made gyros sesame. You're on sesame chicken with John Snow Peas. Oh, John Snow Peas are my favorite. How was the sesame chicken? Was it good? Very good. Very good. Uh, Tasty. Loved, loved the uh, sesame chicken, Morris. Uh, fantastic. And, <laughs> Damn. Uh, <laughs> Plated's going to send you everything all in one box. Everything you need is all in there. All the ingredients are measured ahead of time. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun for you and yours to put it all together. Their recipes are inspired by cuisines from around the globe, like Malaysian fish curry and lamb shakshuka from Morocco. They do all the grocery shopping for you and they send you the exact amounts of each ingredient their sourcing quality ingredients as well artisanal mayo they've got that in its own glass jar wow that's uh you're trying to trigger me now aren't you yeah why because you love artisanal mayo. yeah the mayo jar yeah Mm. oh yeah it's nice bringing that into my game of thrones okay yeah and if you got a sweet tooth, a sweet robin tooth, uh, Plated even offers dessert options like no churn coffee ice cream and cinnamon rolls. So discover your ideal dinner experience. Go to Plated.com slash post to get 50% off your first Plated box. That's 50% off for a limited time only. Terms apply. See Plated.com slash post for details at Plated.com slash post. Okay, Josh. Back to the finale feedback. All right. Well, uh, how about some land shakshuka? How about some Jamie Land shakshuka? Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about Jamie Lannister 
and what his plan might be moving forward. This is from Robert Craig, who says, what do you guys think Jamie Lannister's plan is? Do you think he can get some of what's left of the Lannister army to join him? And what do you think is ultimately going to happen between him and Cersei? I think it would be very satisfying for Jamie to be the one to take out Cersei. So what do you think about this, Rob? How are we going to see Jamie Lannister get integrated into the action in the final season of Game of Thrones? I don't know. I don't know what Jamie Lannister is looking to do. I mean, the thing that just keeps running through my mind is that this is the same guy who tried to lance a dragon by ramming it. Now, again, he did have the right idea that a javelin type implement is the right way to take out a dragon. But it seems to me like he's on some sort of suicide mission one way or the other. And in the same way that he tried to ram the dragon, it feels like, you know what, I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm just going to thrust myself into the most dangerous situation possible. I think that you could see the scenario where like all of the forces have gathered, you know, whether it's at White Harbor or or further south uh, because they can't go to the north if that's White Walker territory at this point. And you could see everybody having like this big war meeting and the lone rider, Jamie Lannister, just rolling into town and being like, how can I help? What can I do? I've got Valyrian steel. Let's do this thing. Like, I think Jamie is in. I don't think that it's even a matter of, like, I need my soldiers to go off to war. It's, I need to go off to war. I can't abandon this. I think he's, you know, I think that he's been, uh, I think that Brienne puts the bug in his ear in this finale, but I think that he's been moving in this direction for a little while now. I do think this season did some good groundwork in terms of getting Jamie away from Cersei. We had enough people along the way getting him to like really stop and consider what's going on with Cersei, including Cersei herself on a couple of occasions, but Lady Elena as well. So I think that he's, he's in. I think he's ready to just take the real threat seriously. As far as Jamie being the one to take out Cersei, I know that that's a super popular theory, but is he really going to kill the woman who is pregnant with his child? Like, I don't see how that really fits. And that makes me feel like Jamie killing Cersei, that theory is starting to draw to a close. What if you factor Euron into this, where she ends up, Cersei, wow, that Jamie's out of the picture. She ends up with Euron and tells uh, Jamie, oh, look, he's, you know, twice the man you are. Do you feel like that that could trigger him? No, I don't think that that would be enough. You know, if Lady Elena wasn't able to get Jamie to, you know, so triggered that he just cleaves her in half after she confesses to murdering her son, I don't think that Euron is going to get so far under his skin. And I don't think that his jealousy through Euron would be so much that if Cersei said something like that, it would be enough. I think he's 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 more mature than that. He's an adult. This is an adult. Jamie Lannister is a real grown man. He's a grown up, Rob. He's a grown up. Grown ass man. He's yeah. a grown ass man. This is uh this is a great great segue into talking about a grown ass Bran. Uh Brian Galebach has a really interesting thought on Jamie and where he could go moving forward. This is from Brian with Jamie heading north to help in the battle against the dead. It looks like he could end up back at Winterfell and meet Bran again, who he pushed out the window in the series premiere. What would we anticipate in such a meeting? Could Bran forgive Jaime given his more recent noble actions, including his pledge to protect Sansa and Arya? Hmm. Yeah. I think Jaime would say he was sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that whole thing. I mean, I lost my hand, so sorry. You know, stuff happens. No, I think that that's great, though. I hadn't really thought about that as a character combination until this was brought up. You know, Jamie pushing Bran out the window is like your first real Game of Thrones moment, right? Like that's the one where it's like bad things happen to good people. This sweet little boy who loves nothing more in the world than climbing gets pushed out of a window and paralyzed by a couple of incestuous psychopaths. So for one of those incestuous psychopaths to have something of a redemption arc along the way and really wanting to commit himself to the Great War, and Bran is really committed to the Great War. And what's more, Bran has been saying, I'm not really Bran anymore. Is this going to be something that's like so personally triggering for Bran that this kind of wakes him up a little bit? Or is he just going to be that kind of omnipresent Bran who's just like, yeah, I can see into other aspects of your recent past and you have uh, you have been you've been trying, you've been trying and I get you a little bit more. So it's cool. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun scene. I'm really looking forward to that scene at the very least, whether or not it's executed well. I think that that's a that's something that feels like that's in our future is some sort of Jamie and Bran scene. They have to pay off that first inciting incident of Game of Thrones. 
Yeah, that would be fun. I just don't think that Bran is going to give you the sort of like. Uh, sure. I don't. I don't think that he is uh, feeling vengeful that he wants to get anything back from Jamie. I think that he knows what Jamie has been up to over all these years, and especially if Brienne is there to sort of speak for him, I think that it'll end up being okay. I do think that it's interesting though that Bran. Uh, poking his head into the window did launch him into this career of being a voyeur <laughs> that's right yeah that was the first uh, the first moment of peeping bran uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's definitely escalated since then <laughs> i'm not really looking for like a like a revengeful bran or anything like that i just do think like it has the potential to be a really sweet scene where jamie could get some closure or where even bran could be brought out of his shell a little bit and they could have a moment i think there's uh there's some potentially emotional possibilities there sorry i pushed you out the window i know yeah, it's all right uh let's talk about jamie's brother Tyrion. this is from Susanna of house barklow she writes in in the john and danny scene we see Tyrion creeping in the shadows looking very upset speaking of peepers uh is he upset over this union or is he feeling remorse for a possible deal he made with cersei why else would cersei agree to call her banners after meeting with Tyrion, even if it was a false agreement on cersei's part something fishy is going on here and just like Littlefinger, i'm confused are you confused over the peeping Tyrion of it all Yes, I was, but I did read uh, a piece, an uh, interview with the uh, director of the episode, and I believe that he just explained it as that it was Tyrion was just feeling like uh, that a lot had gone on with Daenerys. I don't think it was anything that was like he was in love with Daenerys or anything like that. I just think he thought that this is complicated. I think that's probably it. It was just the whole, the whole scene was just constructed so awkwardly, honestly, in my opinion, that it just like it's it's hard to follow. And Tyrion's placement in there only convolutes things a little bit further. But I do think that it's probably as simple as that, that he's just like, oh, this is going to be politically interesting. Like things are just getting complicated and we're going off to war right now. And you guys are starting to really fall in love for, with each other. Like, is there time for this? I think that all of that is on Tyrion's mind in this scene i don't think that there's much else going on beyond that i know that there are some people who are getting like creepy vibes out of it uh i just i i mean i do think it's like a little bit of a creepily shot scene but i don't think that it's anything more than him like kind of like weighing the gravity of what's going on and like the possible ramifications of it um it's just it wasn't a scene that like i don't know it just it just kind of played funky you know it was just kind of like a strangely uh inserted shot into the scene yeah, I think a lot of people were left confused in terms of what he was saying. Maybe they could have put somebody in the scene with him to like uh he could have just been like giving us a line of dialogue so to know where his head was at, but uh, all we know is he is not in love with Daenerys. All right. How about one last one from Robert Craig? Uh, let's take this question from Robert Craig, who asks about Euron Greyjoy, your favorite Greyjoy and mine. Uh, says, Euron came on strong to start the season, and then he kind of disappeared. Where do you think they're going to go with him in the final season? Do you think he's going to be an endgame player, or do you think Theon will rescue Yara and they will finish him off? Um, so according to Cersei, Rob... Uh, we know that Euron is going to Essos to pick up the Golden Company and bring them over to Westeros, and Cersei wants to march the Golden Company on uh, on the people who are trying to fight the White Walkers, which is nice. That's a very sweet thing that she is planning to do. Do you think that that's going to come to pass? Is Euron going to show up next with the Golden Company? Is he going to be intercepted somewhere out sea, uh, out at sea by Theon? And it's going to kind of be like a turning of the tables of the scene we saw when Silence rolled up on the Greyjoy fleet earlier in the season. How do you think that this all plays out? I don't see how Theon could stop Euron from bringing back uh, the Gold Company. I, I just don't know what forces he has. It looks like he has like two guys in rowboats. So I don't know how he pulls that off or even where Yara is being held. Is she back on Pike and then Euron is out like running these errands and then uh, heading back there? To me, I, I kind of feel that I am uh, not super interested in what you know the redemption of Theon at this point. I'm interested in the redemption of Theon as long as it's done relatively quickly. You know, like mm-hmm. if, it, if it doesn't like take an episode or half an episode. You know, if it takes like. 20 minutes all told 
over the course of this whole final season. Like, I'm good with that. Like, we can spare even 30 minutes on Theon across six final episodes. I think that you could probably find the time, especially because these episodes will probably be supersized for the most part, if not all of them. Uh, So I think that there's room for that. But if it becomes like a major plot point, that's going to, you know, that's going to feel like where, what are we doing? We don't have that kind of time. Yeah, we're going to be looking at the watch at that point, not the night's watch, because their purpose is pretty much ended at this point. And again, I don't think that Yara is that developed of a character either that I don't feel super invested in Yara Greyjoy do you? Well, I, w- I want to have resolution to it like if this is just like if they just left this hanging that would be kind of a bummer to me like I do feel like we have invested enough in the character that we should get some resolution on her I just don't want the resolution to be long and drawn out like I think that this should be handled very uh, fairly swiftly at least uh, and I think it'd be fun to watch Theon kill Euron and Theon did just like beat the snot out of a guy twice his size so maybe he's got his groove back a little bit so mm-hmm. I think it'd be, I think it'd be fun I think that to see Theon really succeed at something finally after he's been through everything that he's been through and a lot of it of his own making uh, would be satisfying to me as long as it's done in a time efficient manner we'll see what happens uh, what two years from now <laughs> possibly man it could be a while could be a while Bran's gonna be so tall oh he's gonna be huge he's gonna be huge <laughs> Okay, Josh, do we have a hashtag today? Oh, hashtag uh, peeping brand. Peeping brand. Okay. Uh, I think we, we were talking about peeping Tyrion the other day. So, yeah. uh, And I said weeping Tyrion. Yeah. Uh, so uh, peeping brand. Uh, and Josh, the Throners hype is here. You can go ahead and check out the ballot, throners.com, to cast your votes in this year's Throners. We will be uh, recording, I think, probably sometime next week uh, for the Throners Awards. And then get ready for our Game of Thrones full series rewatch kicking off soon where we will see jamie lannister spoiler alert push uh brand out of window not a spoiler anymore at this point <laughs> unless people forgot i mean it has been we talked while. about it five minutes ago <laughs> yeah no i can't wait for the rewatch i think the rewatch is gonna be fun and the reaction from people so far people seem to be excited about it so i think yeah. it's gonna be a really fun podcast series so what are we gonna do we're gonna talk about the episode for first timers for what like uh 10 15 minutes and then we'll talk spoiler stuff Hey, if that's how you want to do it, I was kind of figuring we would just hop right into it. Uh, but you know, TBD. How about we'll, how about that? We'll work on it. We'll work yeah. on it. We'll have a we'll have an exact game plan for you at the top of the throners. How about that? Yeah. We uh, let us know. Give us some feedback also because I think there's some people that want to are saying I've heard like, okay, great. Uh, now I can go through the show for the you know uh, finally. I've been waiting for this, but I don't know. Do we? If that's like ten uh, percent of the audience, how much do we cater to that? We that, that's what we got to figure out. I'd be willing to spend no more than ten minutes on spoiler-free stuff every episode. But, like we should have a like a timer. But beyond that, I'm done. You know, that's yeah. you know, that's just that's we're we're you know seven years into this show, biggest right. show we on the a planet. Lot, a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Maybe that could be like the opening segment. Like the first five minutes is uh, spoiler free. And then uh, eh, like we have some sort of like the bugle. Spoiler free cold open. I like it. Yeah. All right. Great stuff. So Josh Wiggler, I'm sure that uh, there is no off season for you. You could follow Josh at Round Howard and everything that you're working on for uh, THR. But uh, has the throne stuff cooled off yet? Are you just full on survivor now? It'll never cool off. No. <laughs> No matter how long winter stays. Winter is here. Winter is here. All right. So uh, check that out. And of course, uh, be on the lookout for the Throners. Cast your votes at Throners.com. Thanks so much for listening all season long. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to uh, get the weekly rewatch podcast uh, coming up after the Throners at PostureRecaps.com slash GOT iTunes. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 